Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in today. Dave Riesinger here and I've got a message that if this thing bores you or you get distracted or tuned out or you lose interest, ain't nothing wrong with me, ain't nothing wrong with the Bible. I think somebody needs to smack you in the head with the Bible to wake you up because what we're gonna cover today is so interesting and so fascinating that even if this stuff, Bible stuff, is boring to you, this should catch your interest. So I'm gonna do a little bit more reading today, um, so hang with me in, in case you don't, uh, you're not a fan of adding a lot of passages like some people, but this is a story that talks or gives a symbol or a picture of some of the end time events that we're in right now. We've been talking about the end time. Is Jesus coming soon, right? We kind of laid a case. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but we should be ready. Are we in the end of the end days? And then what are the signs that point to that? We talked about that last week. If you missed it, go back, redeem.church. You can check that message out uh, or go to our Facebook page. But today, um, I want to talk about the blessed hope. And what I mean by this, it sounds like a real old school churchy uh, type of uh, word or, or phrase, but there are two groups of people on the earth today. Those who will experience the wrath of God and those who will not experience the wrath of God. There are two groups of people on the earth today, those who are saved, made righteous by the blood of Jesus, and those who are not. This is not Dave's opinion, so don't shoot the mailman, don't slap the mailman, I'm just bringing the mail from the message that Jesus Christ provided us with his life and the word of God that we read. And so this is fascinating because uh, the, the Bible talks about end time troubles. It talks about a Jacob's trouble, it talks about a tribulation um, that's going to hit the earth, something that the world has never seen, something that will make the Holocaust look like a day at Disneyland. There, there is some major trouble on the horizon, horizon, and it's a byproduct or it's initiated by God's wrath. It's God's judgment on the world. But the blessed hope is this, okay? For the believer, you will not be a recipient of the wrath of God. Doesn't mean you're not gonna go through trials and tribulation. We have people around the world right now that are losing their heads for the gospel. People that are losing their families, their businesses. This isn't a pain-free, I escape without a scratch theology or doctrine. Listen, if you follow me, Jesus said, you're gonna be persecuted like me. If they hated me, they're gonna hate you. Now, this shouldn't be an everyday occurrence. You should have some friends in your life, right? And not everybody should feel that way towards you. But when you stand for the gospel, you're going to have some suffering. But we know that our suffering produces treasure inside of us and through us, right? And so, but when it comes to the wrath of God, the righteous will not, the righteous cannot experience God's wrathful judgment. And I'm going to show you through this picture, Genesis 18. And I'm going to paraphrase some of this. So stay with me, let's dive in, grab a cup of coffee, and, uh, and, and let's see what the Lord has to say. It's uh, Abraham and Lot, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, before we get to the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, here's, uh, here's Abraham and Sarah, and these three men had just come up. They promised that they were gonna have a child in their old age. He's getting discounts at Denny's 30 years in already uh, for the seniors menu, and hey, you're gonna have a child. And after that, we pick it up here. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mereh in the heat of the day while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Interesting. So there's three guys, 
They just appear, and Abraham is talking to them. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Have you ever met three people and had this response in you where I just need to get on the ground and bow right before them? Which shows us these weren't just men. This wasn't just Bob, Rick, and Lil Smokey from down the street, okay? These were angelic beings, or maybe they were God, or one of them was God. Well, we see in the next verse. Uh, he says this, My Lord, said, said Abraham, if I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass by your servant. So, so we, we call this a theophany. Anytime God appears in the form of man, um, that's known as a theophany, or any time that we see a pre-incarnate um, uh, cameo of Jesus, that's called a Christophany. This is Christ showing up in the form of man. So what we see here is that there are two angels and the Lord himself before he became Jesus, and he's having a conversation with Abraham, and Abraham recognizes him as Yahweh, as the Lord. So just fascinating, and this, this is what makes this so interesting. Then we go on, Genesis 18, 6. When the men got up to leave, they had this conversation, and um, basically the Lord is going to now tell, possibly tell Abraham that he's going to wipe out the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, here's what happens. When the men, men got up to leave, they looked, out, uh, they looked out for Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them off. Verse 17, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, interesting. Here's, here's the pre-incarnate Jesus, the Lord himself. And he's saying to himself, should I hide this from Abraham? Now, this is a fascinating spiritual principle. And it's this principle. Whenever God does anything in the earth, I'm talking about significant things, right? Whenever he does his will, carries out his mission or his plan, he either does it through his servants or he speaks it to his servants first. Uh, we see this in Amos 3, 5. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servant, the prophets. This is spokesmen or speakers. And so he's going to tell his boy what's about to go down. And even today, we have the word of God. We've been talking about the end times. We've been talking about the coming of Christ. We know that there is heaven and there's hell. There is eternity with Jesus and there's eternal damnation. There is no purgatory. I'm sorry to tell you, but th that is not in the scripture. When we die, it's appointed unto a man once to die and then the judgment. And so if we know the stakes are that high, God tells us this in his word. And he says, the same way I told Abraham, the same way I told Moses to go to Pharaoh, the same way I told Daniel to speak to his generation and, and Joseph to rise up and share this dream and stand in the gap and save his nation and save his brothers. I have called every believer to go into all the world and preach the gospel as witnesses. And I've given each one of you a ministry of reconciliation. So God has put upon us the word, the mandate, the message, and the prophetic uh, uh, occurrences that are going to take place. And he says, use your life to let people know so that nobody has to get swept away in judgment. Okay, so uh, this, this might sound a little heavy, but check this out. Such fascinating things. We get to verse 20. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great because their sin is so grievous. Okay, 
So interesting. He's, he's, he's going to judge the city because the outcry was so great. Well, who was crying out against this city? The Lord is literally weighing whether he's going to wipe the whole city out um, based on the cry that's coming from people. So it wasn't Abraham because we know that G, the, the Lord was going to have to reveal to him that he was even doing it. We know that Lot, Lot was living in Abraham in uh, Sodom and he wasn't crying out because he got so distracted and immersed in the culture that it was hard to get home way out of the city. We'll see that in a minute. Um, we don't see that there were really any righteous people in the, in the city. So could it have been the, the cry of even the wicked or those living in a wicked city who had been victimized by the chaos and the destruction? Could this fall into the category of the same way Cain slew Abel and it says Abel's blood cried out from the ground and could this have been those who had suffered injustice, those who had been taken advantage of, that their lives or even not even knowing God, they just cried out and it, it came to the ears of God um, and God took notice of it and now he's going to listen to the cry and he's going to go down and weigh whether he should destroy the city or not. This is fascinating because um, we know that God hears our prayers. If, if God himself, the Lord himself, is going to come down and hears the cries of people about this injustice, and he's going to weigh whether to, to destroy the city or take action, we know that God hears us. We know that the Lord, when we pray, when we seek him, not, not saying that we need to pray for the destruction of a city. We know that's not it. But we need to pray for the protection of God's people. And we need to pray for the salvation of those who will be judged unless they turn. Those who are objects of wrath, like every person before they became a follower of Jesus, who then became a child of God and an heir to eternity, right? So God hears our prayers. And I feel like when we see chaos happening in our nation and in our world, to stand by and do nothing means that we're not getting the attention of a God who can intervene with his divine power. And so what a great lesson on this when we read it. It goes on and it says this. He says to, uh, the Lord says to Abraham, verse 21, I will go down and see if their actions, the wicked people's actions in the city, in the city fully justify the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will find out. You know what I love about this <clears throat> is there is justice in every step of the Lord's process. Think about this. He hears a cry, but God himself will look into a matter. You might feel like you've been taken advantage of, that life is hard. It could be as small as like, hey, my boss is mean to me or whatever. You know that God, like he knows every tear you cry. He knows every um, ounce of anxiety that you feel. And when we cry out to him, God has justice in every single step. He doesn't react uh, just impulsively. He actually looks into the matters that are taking place and he weighs the voices and he weighs the, the actions and he weighs the consequences. God is very relational. He's very caring. He's very loving and he is fully just as well. So again, this is just so incredible. Verse 22 it says, and the two men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained um, standing before the Lord. 
Abraham stepped forward and said, will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now, this is fascinating. He's talking to the Lord himself and he's like, God, are you really going to, you really going to take the righteous out? Like this city is going to be destroyed. And are you really going to wipe all of these people out? And you're going to just destroy their lives and you're going to ruin them and you're going to kill them. And just because the city is wicked, can't you see that there might be some people willing to be saved here? Now, this, this is so interesting here. He says then, what if there are 50 righteous ones in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the, the, the place for the sake of 50 righteous ones who are there? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the, the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Will, you, uh, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? What a great picture of prayer. Maybe a picture you've never seen before. Did, did, did the Lord need Abraham to remind him? No, he didn't. But for some reason, God can handle it. Abraham is reminding the Lord who doesn't need reminding to be what he already is. But there's something about our dialogue with God that says, you know what? When I pray, I need to declare who he is. And God, you're, you, you are sovereign. God, you're merciful. God, be merciful. Lord, please don't allow this to happen. This isn't who you are. And it's not so much that God needs the reminder, but I think that we need the faith built up that when we pray, that we talk to God and in essence, remind him so that we can remind ourselves of who he is. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so he's, he's speaking to who God already is and he's saying, please spare the city. Now, this is really cool. So the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous ones within the city of Sodom, on their account, I'll spare the whole place. Then Abraham goes through all these numbers. He's like, okay, what about 45? Would you do it for 45? What about 40? Oh, okay, you do it for 40. And then he's probably thinking, man, I've been through Sodom and Gomorrah, man. I've, I've walked, I, I doubt there's even 40 there. Like, what about 20? And then he finally gets down and he says this, verse 32. Finally, Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, on account of 10, I will not destroy the city. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed and Abraham returned home. Now, isn't this incredible that, you know, Sodom was probably around 200,000 people. Gomorrah was around the same because we know that there was an army that came against these four or five kings. Um, their army that came against Sodom and Gomorrah was 800,000. So it had to be a big enough city to justify an army that big coming. But, but out of 200,000 just in this city, God says, if I can find 10, just 10, I'll spare the whole city. You know, what a, what a faith lesson. Because there's a principle here that applies as well. That we are ambassadors of Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And wherever you and I go who have Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have the support and the protection of heaven. Again, doesn't mean that we, we will never face hurt or persecution or trouble. But we know that if God was willing to spare 200,000 people, if he could find just 10 representatives of righteousness, we know that wherever we go, that God's eyes are on us and we can actually bring blessing, protection, and the restraint of judgment on a place that is wicked, on a group of people, on a scenario or a situation, 
Because where we go, the kingdom of heaven is radiating in and through us and God protects his people. God moves through his people. God shows up powerfully on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. What a great idea. First, uh, Second Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It, it could be a remnant of people that cry out for a multitude of sinners, a multitude of wickedness on a large piece of land. But God says, if I can find my people turning to me, I'll move on their behalf and I'll show up. We also see that this is a, a great example of the spirit living within us and how the Antichrist will be revealed. Second Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7 says this, and you know, speaking of the Antichrist and the devastation he's gonna unleash, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. Now he's saying that you can't, you, the Antichrist hasn't emerged yet, and there's a time, and the reason he hasn't emerged yet is not just because of the time, but there's a restraining force that's keeping him at bay. Verse seven says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, it's in our world, but the one who now holds it back will continue to hold it back till he's taken out of the way. Now check this out. So there's, I believe this is the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit who Jesus sent to the earth to live in us, and to work in us and counsel us and guide us and fill us. It's the Spirit of Christ. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just live in fields and by streams and rivers, right? He doesn't just chill up on mountaintops. He lives inside of the believer. So check this out. This is the argument we have for the church being raptured out of the wrath of God or the great tribulation. And, and it's this, if the Holy Spirit is restraining wickedness from being unleashed and God's wrath from coming, if that's the Holy Spirit restraining it and that same Holy Spirit lives in every true follower of Christ and he can never leave us and he can never forsake us, then if that Holy Spirit is moved out of the way, then the church has to be moved out of the way because the church can't be separated from the Holy Spirit. So that's the argument. Or the other argument is, okay, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene because the church is going to be martyred. There's going to be, they're going to be slain. Okay. So I'm not going to get into that, but we know that there are people who experience persecution, martyrdom. They lose their life for the sake of the gospel. It wasn't God's wrath. And when they die, they're with the Lord. They never experienced the eternal judgment. Um, but we know that the presence of, of the believer on the earth right now is a restraining force against evil. And so that was just a great picture of what that looks like. But we, as the those who carry the restraining power of the Holy Ghost, we also need to use our lives and our voice to save those who are about to experience the wrath of God when that time comes. Let me move on, and it gets really weird here. There's stuff in the Bible, if you just read it, you, your mind would be blown. Genesis 19.1. Now, the two angels, remember the three guys? There's the Lord, and then those two angels go off to Sodom. Obviously, Jesus didn't end up finding ten righteous. Now, those two angels arrive at Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When Lot saw them, he got up to, to meet them, bowed face down. So he recognized them. These are angels. They're from 
they're from God. And he said, my Lord, please turn aside into the house of your servant. Wash your feet and spend the night. Then you can rise early and go on your way. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. Now check this out. But Lot insisted so strongly that they followed him into the house. He prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called out to Lot saying, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us that we might have relations with them. Think about the wickedness was so bad that the men of the city caught wind that there was two visitors to the city and, you know, earmuffs here, uh, parents for kids, but it was so bad that these men said, had no idea they were angels. They gathered at this house, young and old, and wanted and demanded that Lot send these angels out so these men could rape them. You could see why God heard the cry of a city of a people that had been oppressed or hurt and the wickedness was so abounding that this kind of stuff was going on. So Lot went outside to meet them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he pleaded, don't do such a wicked thing. Now, then he says this, this just blew my mind. Like, come on, dad, right? Look at what Lot does. Look, I have two daughters you can, uh, who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them to you and you can do to them as you please but do not do anything to these men for they have come under the protection of my roof. Can't we all just agree that Lot did not win dad of the year award here? He's even morally breaking down under the pressure of this culture, right? This is just in- incredible. So these angels, right? They're in the midst of like these guys trying to get at them. The city's about to get burned to the ground. Verse nine says, get out of the way, they replied. And they, they declared, this one, uh, this one came here as a foreigner and he's already acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. And they pressed in on Lot and moved in to break down the door. But the men inside, the angels, pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men at the entrance, young and old with blindness, so they wearied themselves trying to find the door. Then the two men said to Lot, do, not, uh, do you have anyone else here, a son-in-law, Uh, or sons or daughters or anyone else in the city who belongs to you. Get them out of here because we are about to destroy this place for the outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Now, think about this. He's saying, you belong to God. You're his righteous. Is there anyone connected to you that we need to get out? Because I'm not gonna destroy the city until I remove those who belong to the Lord. Now, this is a principle we are, I believe, in the end of some, at some point. I don't know how close to the end. But when God's wrath is poured out, God is faithful and his promise is he will protect and move his own out of the way. We see him expound on this later. It says, so Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged in marriage to his daughters. Get up, he said. Get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy it. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. This is such a picture of what it'll be like in the end times that people will be like, yeah, I've heard it all before. I don't want to hear it. It's just a joke. But even if people don't listen, believers are called to reach out and to warn and to love and to serve so that some might be saved. But you know what? There's a whole city of people here that didn't want to listen. 
There were prophets in the Old Testament that ministered and ministered and no one came to belief, right? But God is faithful in sending the warning and protecting the righteous. Then it says here, and then we'll, we'll come to a close. At daybreak, the angels hurried along saying, get up, <clears throat> take your wife and kids or two daughters who are here <clears throat> or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. But when Lot hesitated, the men grabbed his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and led them safely out of the city because of the Lord's compassion for them. As soon as the men had been uh, brought out, one of them said, run for your lives, do not look back and do not stop anywhere on the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot replied, my, no, my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor in your sight. And if you have shown me great kindness by sparing my life, but I cannot run to the mountains, the, the, uh, the disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, there is a town nearby where I can flee and it's a small place. Please let me flee there. Is it not a small place? Then my life will be saved. And then these angels say, very well, he said, I'll grant you this request as well and will not dem demolish the town you indicated. Hurry, run there quickly, for I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zor. Now, I think it was just, Lot was like, hey, yo, man, I'm out of shape and I can't climb a mountain. And the angels were like, yeah, we see that. Go ahead and just settle there. But this, this saying is so powerful right here. I can't do anything until I remove my righteous out of the way. So you got to hurry up because God's not going to send judgment until his people are secured and safe. And then it says, finally, then the Lord rained down sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. Thus he destroyed the cities and the entire plain, including the inhabitants of all the cities and everything that grew around it. And this is the sober yet hopeful reminder to the believer, we have a hope that God will not judge us with his wrath, but to the unbeliever, this is a reminder that repentance is the only way out, to turn to Jesus. We see this same, and I'm not gonna read anything, but we see the same pattern with Egypt and the children of Israel. Um, and here's these Hebrews that experience living amongst the Egyptians and a Pharaoh who rejected God. And while they're living in the same population, God's people and those who don't believe in God, the plagues came and God spared his people. Same population, two different groups of people. The plagues didn't touch his people, but they hit the, the Egyptians. Then they come to the Red Sea and God makes a way. They escape the judgment and the same sea that they escaped through closes in and judges the Egyptians and they're swallowed up in that watery grave. We see Noah and his family, same thing. Noah is telling his generation, warning them about judgment, trying to get them to turn to God. They didn't wanna hear it. They resisted him, they rejected him, but he kept preparing. And then one day, the ark is closed. What a picture of judgment. Listen, these are cyclical pictures of the end times. There's judgment coming, there's a great tribulation, there's preachers warning. There's the word of God being spoken. Some won't hear, some will think it's a joke, but some will listen and some will get in the ark and some will go through the Red Sea and some will get out of Gomorrah and Sodom and some will be saved, right? So this is a strong message to us as believers to proclaim the truth while we still have time. I'm not saying that the tribulation is gonna happen tomorrow, but I'm saying that we need to have the urgency like it would. And finally, I close with this. 
It says Matthew 24, 21 through 22. Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And I say to you today in closing, listen, Jesus is, is warning us out of his love. It, it would be unloving to unleash something like this without a warning. But he said, there's an ark, there's a passing of the Red Sea, and there's visitors who will get you out. But you've got to turn to Jesus Christ. And for the believer, we've got to wake up. We don't want to be like, like Lot, who became so a part of the city that you could barely separate him out. And he's making decisions like he was. We are in a time where Christians must be focused. We must be prayed up. We must be sharp. And we must be urgent to bring people into the loving relationship that will save them from wrath. I know this might seem like a strong word. Um, I'm a fun guy and today was more down to business, but I want to pray with you right now. And if you've never received Jesus as your savior, I, I want to um, invite you to do so now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you've rescued us by the blood that you shed on the cross, that you have washed us and you are the way, the truth and the life. And I pray that every person watching that does not have a relationship with you would turn right now, believe on you, repent of their sins, and trust that you are the only way so that God, we would not be recipients of judgment, but of eternal life and a blessing of family reunion with you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen.